Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So I wanted to um, talk about um, this theme that I'm calling uh, sacred activism, uh, the line between politics and moral imperative. Um, you've probably noticed things are getting a bit crazy out there. I mean, one could say that probably at any time in this lifetime, but uh, it's just getting a little bit crazier. And um, it always... It seems to be that way in uh, in election years, because it's so intense and battle lines drawn, and uh, people vying for your attention and trying to do it in whatever sensational ways will capture your your awareness. Um, but there's something a bit different about uh, this time around, at least, at least for me, and I know I'm not alone, because uh, it seems to be a conversation that uh, I have with, with most friends. What's going on here? Or I keep on hearing the, uh, if you're old enough to remember, uh, Buffalo Springfield had this song, uh, Something's happening here. What it is ain't exactly clear. You remember that one, some of you? Um, and I, uh, it just seemed um, mm, relevant and um, uh, appropriate to to talk a bit about about things from a Dharma context. Um, and I, as I said, the line between politics and moral imperative, there's always a, a, mm, a delicate dance that I feel um, called on to honor and respect as much as I can when uh, looking at current events because there's lots of different views and opinions and I don't want to presume to have any corner on the truth. Uh, And uh, I know sometimes people come to a a Dharma setting to get away from all of that and to just go inside and find a place of centeredness within oneself. And so I I appreciate that and want to honor that and fully believe that the more you can connect deep inside with the truth and not get so swept up by all the messages that are vying for your attention, 
then you can um, act more wisely and compassionately in the world. Um, and it also seems um, important to, uh, to also learn to um, navigate that world with some clarity and centeredness and uh, open-heartedness and, and bring our Dharma practice to, um, to what's going on around us. And what, what seems a bit different these days is the uh, volatility and the um, talk of violence in the air in this national conversation. And uh, it's, it's very unsettling. So as we explore this, I just want to put out as a, a basic um, request to um, not get into discussing our opinions of who we're going, who we would like to win if there's, if you're talking about the national election or why or who you'd vote for or uh, getting in too much into uh, political arguments uh, because there's, you know, there's no end to that. Uh, and the Buddha talked a lot about views and opinions as being um, often leading to a folly. He says, a quote that I often, uh, uh, often use, he says, uh, those who go about uh, attached to their uh, philosophical views and opinions um, uh, go about the world annoying people. <clears throat> It's in that book, by the way, that I just gave you. And um, we don't want to annoy others or annoy ourselves by being so attached to our views and opinions, although it's also very important to have a discerning mind and get clear on what the truth is for you. As long as you see that it's the truth for you, and not necessarily the ultimate truth as far as uh, oh, political uh, strategies or um, uh, approaches to, uh, to national problems um, or societal problems, um, then it's healthy and important to get clear on what, um, what really rings true for you and to do your your best to engage and speak up for the truth in a very skillful, effective, wise way. That said, when someone is advocating hate and violence, subtly or not so subtly, 
um, it's also important to speak up. So it's a, a tricky thing to um, not be attached to our views, but to stand up for justice and um, wise and skillful behavior. I had a few quotes I wanted to share. By the way, uh, don't expect to get the final answer for this. We're just going to explore together. Yeah. So you can let go of that. But this is all for us to, to reflect with each other and, uh, and see what's true for us inside. This is uh, Desmond Tutu. If you are neutral in situations of injustice, you have chosen the side of the oppressor. Mm. He says, he goes on to say, if an elephant has its foot on the tail of a mouse and you say that you are neutral, the mouse will not appreciate your neutrality. And this is um, Martin Luther King. He says, the hottest place in hell... This is Martin Luther King. The hottest place in hell is reserved for those who remain neutral in times of great moral conflict. Mm. This is, uh, I I was really moved and motivated to talk about this. It had been on my mind. I thought I might. Uh, talk on the topic, but um, reading um, reading an open letter uh, written by this fellow Brandon Stanton. How many people have have read that? Just one. He is the founder of Humans of New York. Very uh, very popular. Uh, blogger, photojournalist. I think it's like 17 million likes on his his Facebook, and a really good guy. In the Huffington Post, is they called him the nicest guy in the world. You know. And this was an open letter that he wrote to uh, to Donald Trump, and I want to read it. <clears throat> Mr. Trump, I try my hardest not to be political. I've refused to interview several of your fellow candidates. I don't want to risk any personal goodwill by appearing to take sides in a contentious election. I thought maybe the timing is not right, but I realize now that there is no correct time to oppose violence and prejudice. The time is always now because along with millions of Americans, I've come to realize that opposing you is no longer a political decision. It is a moral one. I've watched you retweet racist images. I've watched you retweet racist lies. I've watched you take 48 hours to disavow white supremacy I've watched you joyfully encourage violence and promise to pay the legal fees of those who commit violence on your behalf. 
I've watched you advocate the use of torture and the murder of terrorists' families. I've watched you gleefully tell stories of executing Muslims with bullets dipped in pig blood. I've watched you compare refugees to snakes and claim that Islam hates us. I'm a journalist, Mr. Trump, and over the last two years, I've conducted extensive interviews with hundreds of Muslims chosen at random on the streets of Iran, Iraq, and Pakistan. I've also interviewed hundreds of Syrian and Iraqi refugees across seven different countries, and I can confirm the hateful one is you. Those of us who've been paying attention will not allow you to rebrand yourself. You're not a unifier. You're not presidential. You're not a victim of the very anger that you joyfully inflamed for months. You're a man who has encouraged prejudice and violence in the pursuit of personal power. And though your words will no doubt change over the next few months, you will always remain who you are. Sincerely, Brandon Stanton. <clears throat> this summer I was, um, I was teaching some in Europe and um, I was pulled to, uh, to visit Berlin. I, I mentioned it here when I got back from my trip. I'd never been to Berlin before, but I'd heard of how um, progressive and hip a place it is. It's kind of the place in Europe these days when people say, you know, where to go. It's where everything seems to be happening and the consciousness is so forward moving. It's kind of like, you know, the Bay Area of, of, uh, of Europe, if I can be so, what? ethnocentric or uh, metropolitan-centric. Um, but that's why we, we are people called Berkeley Berserkly here in uh, most of the rest of the country. Uh, and I, I was pulled to go there because um, it just really uh, was curious to me how the hot uh, how the the center of such hate um, 60, 70, uh, 80 years ago, um, 90 years ago, uh, could open up to this uh, very, very progressive thinking place. Um, and uh, I, sp I was there by myself for about five days and um, the thing that I visited, the, the Jewish Historical Museum and the German Historical Museum, among other things, and that the visit to both, uh, particularly the German Historical uh, Museum, really has stayed with me. Um, it's, a, it's two floors, and the... The second, you start out on the second floor, the whole history of Germany from, you know, from medieval times, before medieval times, the, 
you know, nine hundreds, thousand or, or so, uh, to the unfolding of history all the way up to um, the Weimar Republic, uh, just, uh, just after um, World War, just after World War One, and then the second floor is from uh, post World War One uh, through uh, through Nazism, through um, the thirties and forties, and Hitler, and then um, through the Berlin Wall, and uh, all the way up to modern times. And when I was growing up, I often had the thought, how could that have happened? How could that have happened in the, you know, in the the 20s and 30s and 40s? How could a whole, a very, very intelligent society be so swayed under some demagogue who put a trance over people? How could it, has that thought ever occurred to you? How could that happen? And then just seeing it, seeing cause and effect, cause and effect, cause and effect, it was um, just connecting the dots and it became so, uh, uh, so much clearer that when there's uh, shaming, and humiliation, and um, hardship, and fear, and fear gets stirred up, the human mind is capable of anything. And rather than pointing to any one particular country or peoples, it's just seeing cause and effect about how the human mind can be shaped. And when you think about it, you know, Germany is a, as far as intellectual and intelligent, sophisticated, modern, so-called modern civilized thought, you know, Germany is, is pretty, pretty up there. And yet, that whole country was swept under a spell. And um, it was really, uh, it it brought a sense of um, humility and compassion for the the human experience and thinking, oh, that could never happen here, or that could never happen to me. Um, and just hearing the, um, both the, the, the rhetoric and also seeing the, the, the people that, that are swayed by that rhetoric I was reading an article today about somebody who went to a uh, to a rally, to a Trump rally. You, you read it too, Mike. Uh, kind of undercover, just to see what 
goes on there. And the people that this guy encountered were, you know, true believers. And their mind had been conditioned by fear and hatred and, um, um, and shame and being humbled to, to hate more, to really hate. And uh, so I, I just want to first put out that, um, that this is something, uh, it's so easy to get into pointing those hateful people over there. And how could they? But it's a, it takes a, a real um, wise heart and Dharma practice to see even beyond that and not um, be self-righteous in our, in our pointing to followers that get swept up by hate and rhetoric. There's a line... Uh, that, Martin Luther King, another Martin Luther King line that I love. He says, um, you have no moral authority over those who can feel your underlying contempt. You have no moral authority over those who can feel your underlying contempt. So I'm not talking about the person at the front of the stage I'm, I'm talking about uh, the ones who, um, who've just gone through their own conditioning, like that. I don't have it with me, but you know that uh, Thich Nhat Hanh poem, "Please Call Me by My True Names," where he talks about, you know, being, uh, being the child in Uganda, arms as thin as bamboo sticks, and the arms b- merchant dealing weapons in Uganda, the, the refugee girl who throws herself in the river after being raped by a sea pirate, and the sea pirate whose heart is not yet capable of, of loving. And that the Dharma perspective is, is seeing it all and seeing it all without mm, self-righteousness, without um, a sense of um, superiority. And sometimes Dharma practitioners are uh, either reluctant to get into um, discussions like that, or overzealous, thinking, I know the right way. I have the Dharma. And we can be just as blind in our own way. Mm. But the Dharma, one thing that the Dharma does hold is the, um, the moral foundation of uh, doing no harm and acting for the good as well as uh, waking up and purifying the mind. Those are three aspects to think of Dharma practice. Doing no harm as much as, as best as one can, 
although there's no way you're going to please everybody, so let go of that right away. But doing no harm intentionally, acting for the good, for the, for the common good and for the, the greater good, uh, and in the process of purifying the mind and the heart. <clears throat> and uh, just to share, I've shared this before, um, but it's appropriate now that... Um, uh, essay by Bhikkhu Bodhi, who is the the premier uh, translator of Theravadan Buddhism of the Pali Canon, and this uh, beautiful essay that he that he's written called "A Challenge to Buddhists." Some of you have heard this before. Take a beginner's mind. <clears throat> If Buddhism in the West becomes solely a means to pursue personal spiritual growth, I'm apprehensive that it may evolve in a one-sided way and thus fulfill only half its potential. Attracting the affluent and the educated, it will provide a congenial home for the intellectual and cultural elite, but it will risk turning the quest for enlightenment into a private journey that in the face of the immense suffering which daily hounds countless human lives can present only a resigned quietism. In each historical period, the Dharma finds new means to unfold its potentials in ways precisely linked to that era's distinctive historical conditions. I believe that our own era provides the appropriate historical stage for the transcendent truth of the Dharma to bend back upon the world and engage human suffering at multiple levels, even the lowest, harshest, and most degrading levels, not in mere contemplation, but in effective relief-granting action illuminated by its own world-transcending goal. The special challenge facing Buddhism in our age is to stand up as an advocate for justice in the world, a voice of conscience for those victims of social, economic, and political injustice who cannot speak up and stand up for themselves. This, in my view, is a deeply moral challenge marking a watershed in the modern expression of Buddhism. I believe it also points in a direction that Buddhism should take if it is to share in the Buddha's ongoing mission to humanity. So, is there a way to engage and stand up and speak up for uh, for the truth and those who uh, who need support um, without doing it from a place of hate, without doing it from a place of superiority, but to engage from a place of true 
caring and compassion. Mm. The Dharma, as I, I shared um, recently, I, I just did this uh, day-long on climate change with my friend Bob Doppelt uh, just last, last weekend at, at Spirit Rock. And as he, as he said, I shared it here, the Dharma holds the key. It holds the key, he said, to addressing climate change and, and as well addressing uh, the real uh, dangers to our society. And it holds the key uh, because we ha- can practice coming from a different place in our caring and activity. Uh, and I, I, I don't know if I mentioned it recently, uh, Arnold Toynbee, the, the great historian uh, from the 20th century, had this amazing insight. He said that he thought, looking back on the 20th century, that perhaps the most significant development in the 20th century will have been Buddhism coming to the West. And he was like the really most respected or one of the most respected historians. Buddhism coming to the West. Not that we have all the answers, but there's something quite insightful and and prophetic about that as the mindfulness revolution has taken over. Whether you call it Buddhism or consciousness, that there is a tremendous growth of consciousness in the world these days and mindfulness somehow is a vehicle for a lot of that consciousness. So what do we have to offer in this, in these strange and crazy times? So I'll just offer a few comments and then I, I want to have all of us explore together and find out what's going on in there for you as you can reflect within yourself. Um, for one, the way I understand the, uh, what the Buddha said about the source of all suffering, he said the source of suffering is ignorance, is not seeing clearly. And when he used the word ignorance, um, avidya, he, he wasn't talking in a pejorative way, saying, you dummy, you stupid jerk. You know, that's how we often hear of somebody says, oh, they're ignorant, you know. But he's talking about not seeing clearly, just that the veil obscuring the vision. That's why he taught. He saw that there were many who had just a little bit of dust covering their eyes. And as soon as they could see the truth, they could see and understand what he, what he understood. And so when people do things that are hurtful and cruel, they are acting out of ignorance in one way or another. 
when somebody is swept up in the, the hateful rhetoric, they are just confused and not seeing clearly. And when somebody is spouting the hateful rhetoric, they also are confused. They might be hungry for power and know very well how to manipulate the mind, but there's a bottom line ignorance in not seeing where true happiness lies. And there's a a deep karmic price to pay for uh, acting in that way that creates more suffering. So that's the first thing, to see that the real villain is ignorance, not those people out there, and that we have it within ourselves. Uh, Here's another quote. I read this uh, uh, just at the Joy Quest this last week. This is from Alexander Solzhenitsyn. He says, If only it were all so simple, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being, and who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? And when he says evil, one could simply also say ignorance. Ignorance and wisdom exist in all of us unless we're, unless we're fully enlightened. There is, um, there's something that we can see. That's one of the, the gifts of sitting and watching your own mind as you do in meditation practice. It's humbling, isn't it? You say, oh my goodness, I can't believe what's going on in there. That's a good thing to see if you're not completely collapsed under the, the being humbled. But when you see it, oh, that's what goes on in the human mind and in the human heart. And the trick is to not take it personally and to hold it with a, a compassion that is bigger than those fearful, confused thoughts And the more you can see it within your own mind and heart, then the more you can understand how others can get swept up by their thoughts. And this is the the foundation, the basis for compassion. So to, to really appreciate being willing to look at the confusion inside and be... Uh, very humble about it. Humility is the key. I've mentioned this before. Just to see, oh, you know, there but for the grace of God go I as that person does whatever bizarre thing or seems bizarre to you. Um, so that's the first thing. Just seeing the real villain is ignorance. Not seeing clearly. And that's where mindfulness is such a a gift because the basic idea is, oh, once you see things clearly, there's peace in the heart, there's freedom, there's 
kindness, there's wisdom, there's love, there's compassion. A second is um, not thinking that you have all the answers. It's, again, coming down to humility. Um, It's so easy to think, if everybody just saw it the way I saw it, this would be a much better world. But the key is seeing that we are all walking around with our own reality that makes complete sense to us. And the person next to you has exactly the same perspective, even though they've got a different reality. And that's where real humility comes in. Not thinking that you have all the answers in... uh, in at Spirit Rock in our community uh, these days, uh, one of the the main issues that we're looking at uh, as a as a community and uh, people who are um, helping uh, guide the vision of of both Spirit Rock and Insight Meditation uh, Society and um, and and the way our our Dharma is unfolding is. Um, is racial injustice and um, how we can be more welcoming and more understanding and more inclusive and more equitable um, with um, with people who are not um, of the the majority of people who come to Spirit Rock and welcoming to um, people of all ethnic backgrounds and sexual orientations and all the ways that diversity plays out. And one of the things that, uh, that um, I, I'm on the board and uh, guiding, governing uh, teachers council and, um, and so we're, uh, there have been some issues that have demanded that we've looked at this more carefully. And uh, I'm reading uh, a book called Waking Up White uh, by um, Debbie Irving. It's really a good book. Uh, and all uh, all of my colleagues are reading it as well, and it's so humbling to see the blind spots that are just under the radar, and to realize my reality is a very narrow band of reality that's that has no uh, or very little understanding of of others who've gone through a completely different reality and it's such a an important thing to to understand the conditioning that others have and to realize that it's a learning process you want to learn what you don't know instead of assume that you know everything. And it can be humbling to see, oh, I really don't know. Oh, and it's exciting to think, oh, I really want to know. I really want to learn. I really want to understand 
what others go through, not just out of compassion for them, but for my own awakening. Uh, it behooves me. So that's a, a second one. Seeing ignorance as, as the real enemy and letting go of attachment to my views and opinions. Mm-hmm. Along with that comes a, a heart of forgiveness. And in that humility, seeing that, um, as, as Jesus said on the cross, one of the highest teachings that I've ever encountered, forgive them, they know not what they do. And to have a, uh, a heart that's so uh, that's big, bigger than the small-mindedness, and see, okay, this is up to me to get bigger than, and understand that that ignorance is the source of their actions, and to forgive that doesn't mean condone but to start with the heart of forgiveness. And again, this is, uh, mm, this is from Bishop Tutu. He says, Forgiveness is the highest form of self-interest. I need to forgive so that my, own, that my anger and lust for revenge does not corrode my own being. I'll read it again. Forgiveness is the highest form of self-interest. I need to forgive so that my anger and lust for revenge does not corrode my own being. And this is Martin Luther King. We must develop and maintain the capacity to forgive. One who is devoid of the power to forgive is devoid of the power to love. There is some good in the worst of us and some evil in the best of us. When we discover this, we are less prone to hate our enemies. So, seeing the ignorance as the enemy, not holding on to our views, forgiveness, and then to act with fierce compassion, not just to say, it's cool, all right, I'll just kind of be quiet and let, let things take their course. If you're upset or unsettled by injustice, um, it disturbs the mind or the heart not to do anything. But can you do it from a place of kindness and love and compassion. Fierce compassion. Fierce compassion is not namby-pamby. It's strong, like Martin Luther King. What an amazing example who was willing to, to meet the violence with love or Gandhi or... Desmond Tutu or Nelson Mandela. 
um, to really be willing to do what for you feels like a stretch and to speak up for, for truth. And when there's harm being done, to do what you can to mitigate that harm while not creating more hatred and harm. This is Martin Luther King last time. I have it here. The ultimate weakness of violence is that it is a descending spiral begetting the very thing it seeks to destroy. Instead of diminishing evil, it multiplies it. Through violence, you murder the hater, but you do not murder hate. In fact, violence merely increases hate. Returning violence for violence multiplies violence, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. It's very much like the Buddha saying, hatred never ceases by hatred. Hatred only ceases by love. This is an ancient and eternal law. So, um, I spoke a little bit longer than I thought I would, as sometimes happens. Um, like you just to reflect for a moment, maybe go inside for a moment. And um, maybe if, if you've been reading the news or you've been unsettled by it or concerned about it, just notice how it lands for you whether it disturbs, it's disturbing, or whatever reactions come. And from the wisest place inside of you, not the self-righteous one, not the one who knows all the answers, but the one who really cares and wants to be as effective in one's actions as possible. Just get a sense of how you might be in your conversations with others these next few months. How you can both express your caring and your whatever commitment you have to non-harming and be effective agents of the Dharma. Just be um, putting your Dharma practice into the wisest expression so that you don't just add to the hatred and fear. You might imagine different conversations that you might have with others. What is your heart like as you're talking or listening, which might be 
at least as important. How can you be fearless in your expression yet centered and coming from wisdom and compassion? You might imagine a particular conversation with somebody who you have hard conversations with or somebody that you could imagine having a challenging conversation with. Just to plant the seed in your, your mind right now of your highest expression of wisdom and compassion. And as you do, see this as a very rich part of your Dharma practice, not just something that you squeeze in, but something that's central, where the rubber really meets the road. and expressing it as an offering just to bring more consciousness into the world. We don't have much time, but maybe if there's a couple of comments, we can uh, can hear. hear. Yes. And would you uh, say your name? uh, I'm Brian. And, you know, I guess I'm not clear, and this is probably the $64,000 question. I mean, Uh how exactly to engage? Can people hear me? How exactly to engage these people? You, You know, we can't you know, go to them and say, oh, I'm going to get rid of your ignorance, you know. Yeah. And, and especially since, you know, we do have different realities. I mean, that kind of makes it difficult for us to say that, you know, I'm going to try to convince you of my rea- that my reality is, you know, better than your reality. I, so I guess I'm not, I'm not, I'm not yeah. clear yeah. how to engage. Actually. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and if people could stay until the end, we'll end in a few moments. I'd really appreciate it uh, when we can do our, our metta together. Uh, there, there's no right or wrong, but I think as much as anything, it's kind of how to listen. And, uh, you know, not that you're going to be going around convincing people necessarily who can't be convinced, who are, you know, very set in their ways. When the conversation comes up, you know, then, and you're asked to engage or you're, there's an opportunity to engage, that's something else. But you can't go around um, convincing everybody unless those 
who are open to, to hearing. But I, I'd say, for me, it starts with how I listen and how I understand and how I hold it in my heart so I'm not adding more anger and, and hatred to the, uh, to the stew. Uh, and do what I can, say, in, if there's, if and when, when the election, when an election comes, to, um, to um, support those who are not espousing hate. <clears throat> That's... Yeah, yeah. Take, take the mic. And keeping an eye on the contempt that we might have that would be tempting to allow to come to grow. That's that's it. You know, just seeing that underlying contempt. It's so easy to get swept up by it, isn't it? <clears throat> oh, jerks! <laughs> Maybe you haven't had those thoughts, but uh, it's pretty common and. And that's where it also takes compassion for yourself as well, you know, for the mind that can go there. Okay, one last comment and then we'll go. Yeah, and take, wait for the microphone. Wait. I'll feel nervous. Put it right I'll... next to your mouth. Okay. Yeah, um, I really want to talk about reproductive rights and abortion rights and women's rights. And I really appreciate the direction that Spirit Rock is going on in terms of environmentalism and in terms of, you know, social justice, particularly issues of white privilege. Yes. And I feel, you know, in the 70s and the 80s when abortion was legal, that the religious community really did a lot of work on that and mm-hmm. uh, things like Catholics for Choice mm-hmm. and uh, my mother-in-law who had eight children and uh, was Catholic and finally got her tubes tied after eight children. Mm -hmm. And I don't see that happening in the Buddhist community. And for me, um, as a woman, you know, I feel this is such an important issue as we look at this um, fundamental Mm -hmm. right to choose being taken away in the -hmm. Supreme Court. And so I would request that the Buddhist community, the Spirit Rock, take that on and find a way to support women um, in the ending of suffering. And um, this is a social justice um, issue. Thank you. Thank you. And what are you going to do about it? Well... I am um, in your in in our community. Yeah, uh, if anyone would like to be involved in a Buddhist for Choice um, movement, come and see me. You're going to be perhaps a voice that can make a difference. In and that. perhaps you'd That's like it. to invite me to Spirit Rock to talk about this. Please go up to I I would say write to Spirit Rock and or go up to Spirit Rock and uh, maybe I can put you in contact with some people who care. But it all starts, if you've got the energy for it, that's, that's the thing that galvanizes others or motivates others. So um, I'd say I hope your voice is, is heard 
And there's probably going to be others that feel that way too. And particularly in this coming election, whether it's Buddhist community or working in, in other, in other uh, spheres, follow your heartbreak, as Andrew Harvey says, where your, your heart is really, uh, really needing to, uh, is really feeling care. That's where you put your energy. And so in the Buddhist community or, or outside, uh, your passion is contagious. So I, I hope you do uh, express yourself in our community. So thank you. Thank you. Okay, so let's, let's come to a, a close and just um, feel a connection to yourself and to everyone here and to the world. May, may we all see through our confusion and express our caring skillfully and help each other wake up. And may our coming here together uh, be for the benefit of all beings everywhere. Thank you very much. Have a good week. See you next week. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.